Hello, welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And on this episode, my guest is Anna Kirtland, and we'll be talking about how might we increase trust in what businesses are saying about sustainability, which is an interesting subject and quite, uh, I'll say, topical because of what's happened recently. So, Hannah, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, Scott. Thank you. So, I'm Hannah Kirtland. I help professional services businesses know what steps to take to become more sustainable. Okay. Short and concise, I like is that, that. that. That's enough, that, for, a, that, that's enough for an intro. Short and concise. This is me. That's it. Get on. <laughs> okay, so you talk about sustainability quite a lot and helping businesses be sustainability. So why is it important, do you think, that, we, that the, the, the topic you talked about is about how do we trust in what businesses say about sustainability? I think that there has been so much greenwashing that I think we know that the public want to make sustainable choices. We're seeing increasing evidence of that. But at the moment, it can be really hard for them to make those choices because, without a huge amount of research because there's so many businesses have been saying, you know, here's my green this, my eco that, we're going to be net zero by this stage or this is a net zero product. And actually, if you start scratching beneath the surface, you can discover that there are loads of caveats. And that makes it really hard to know which products and services out there are genuinely helping the planet. There's also, there's a big difference between a product that's less bad than the competitors and one that's genuinely good. And there are very few products out there that are genuinely good. And just because something is a little bit less bad than the competitor doesn't mean that it's the right thing that you should be buying. So if we need to be able to trust businesses because we can't, there are people out there who will do lots of research into everything that they're buying, but most people don't have the time or the inclination or the knowledge to be able to keep doing research. You can't be walking down the supermarket with your phone out, checking every single claim and every single brand and every single product. So we need to be able to trust what businesses are saying to us. Imagine if we, we knew we're going around Tesco and we know that Tesco has screened all of its suppliers and is only stocking products that are created sustainably, packaged sustainably, not causing deforestation, et cetera, et cetera. If we knew that, we could walk around the supermarket trusting Tesco, knowing that we don't have to then think about that, but we are making sustainable consumption choices. But at the moment, we're in a stage where there are, there are the vast majority of brands, you cannot trust what they're saying. You need to be digging under the surface because there's no consistency around what net zero means or what what people actually companies actually mean when they're saying something is sustainable so and that's an interesting thing because I, I do think we're actually in a crisis of trust in a lot of areas mm-hmm. about how we communicate and what we say but it's interesting to say that we're talking about sustainability and you hear this word and this the language all around it like net, net zero and, and everything else but if we don't have a consistent understanding of what that means does that give organizations and to a degree i suppose governments some leeway in claiming how compliant they are with something because there is no set standard or uh, acceptable what this actually means at the moment yes and certainly historically yes that's changing so there's more and more regulation coming in and since january this year we've had the green claims code in the uk which has come in and we still, that's all about businesses making environmental claims. So we saw Oatly in the press, and it was last week, they've had one of their adverts pulled because the claims that they were making were not seen to be backed up by 
the right level of data. So we are going to see more of that. So we've now that green claims code is a really interesting thing at the moment, keeping a watch out to sort of see whether it has teeth, mm-hmm. which businesses get pulled up on that. But there, that provides a lot more regulation around what businesses can and can't say in their their marketing, and what claims they can make. I mean, if, for example, can you have a picture of a car driving against a nice wooded green background? Does that subconsciously give the consumer the impression that this car is good for the planet you know therefore is that not allowed anymore these are all sort of questions that are being debated at the moment which i think will be really interesting and then in terms of net zero transition plans in terms of the financials there is much more regulation coming down the line now that will start to give us more consistency and comparability but we're not there yet which means that one company's net zero can be totally different to another company's net zero and it's only when you start digging into their reports, into their website, into all the detail that you can understand exactly what it is they're talking about. And the reality is we can't expect people to do that. No, it's interesting to say that. I, so I, I think there's an opportunity for organisations. So if, if they can jump ahead before the, before they're forced to and actually have that transparency and say, this is what we're doing, this is how we're working, and that's what it is, then there's a, a, a potential opportunity for them to have that sort of jump on the or competition when it arises. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So at the moment, there are a lot of businesses making voluntary disclosures. And then there are equally lots of businesses that are waiting to be waiting for it to be mandatory and to do what they're told to do. I think it'll be interesting to see the way the market perceives that. So if you get ahead of the curve and you start disclosing, being more transparent, being really honest about what it is you're doing, the impact that you're having before you have to, does that start to build trust within your consumer base? So I saw a really nice social media post yesterday from Tony's Chocolatoni, and they were talking about the percentage of child labour in their supply chain. And they were then really honest. They said, you know, this is the amount, this is the percentage amount of child labour that we have within our supply chain. And actually, you know, you compare that then with the chocolate industry at large, the percentage they would have, the reason we have got this amount within our supply chain is because we expanded supply over the last year. We've taken on some new suppliers. We have now worked with them to understand where there is child labour. We are now working with them to eliminate that over the next year. So we will bring that percentage back down to zero. But they were being totally transparent that there is child labour in their supply chain and that that is an issue throughout the chocolate production industry. And they are, this is what they are now doing. This is their target that they're trying to get to. This is the timeline they've given themselves. This is the, this is the plan. They weren't trying to hide it. And that, for me as a consumer, that builds trust because they're not trying to gloss over an issue. They're not trying to make out that they are perfect. They're educating me at the same time, but they're, the fact that they're um, sort of demonstrating that vulnerability makes me trust them more they don't have to tell me that they didn't have to put out a social media post telling me that but they did and they therefore i trust them more because i know they do more than they have to and i think that's an interesting point is around trust is i know what you have to do and if you go that that that, that extra mile i say voluntarily build mm. that buy more trust with consumers and i think sometimes that fear is what s- stops people because if they have to start reporting this and have to lift the lid on their supply chains they're going to go we don't know what we're going to find and yeah. it could be absolutely horrendous and then what are we going to do 
And the supply chain is such an interesting part of this because most businesses, even if they're manufacturers, most businesses, the vast majority of their carbon emissions are what's called scope three. So either within their supply chains or in the way their products are used and then disposed of by consumers. And that's really hard to calculate. But we have to because we can't just ignore that because then you're ignoring the the full impact of the business. But at the moment, there isn't consistency around how people are measuring that and disclosing it and creating plans around it. So yesterday, there was a report that came out, an annual report called the Corporate Climate Responsibility Monitor. And it was critiquing and ultimately criticising a lot of large businesses zero plans. And they had a question in there that is what has really stuck with me from that report, which essentially said, if everybody did what you're doing, then would we reach net zero? Which I really liked because they were talking about the fact that businesses will they'll try and fudge the issue by maybe putting the most carbon intensive pieces of equipment that they own into a subsidiary and then not including that subsidiary within their reporting. Or you might um, remove those most polluting activities from your own supply chain or your own operations and, and then work with a supplier in another part of the world. So all of a sudden that's within your supply chain. It's not within your business. So not report on it. And so they're externalizing the most polluting parts of their business. And the reality is if everyone did that and sort of fudged over it and hid it and brushed it under the carpet, then we're not going to reach net zero. It's something for me, it was about we need to stand back and look at the whole system and and be really honest about how do we all need to behave in order to be responsible businesses if we are going to together do what we need to do. And the reality is if we all behave like that and sort of fudge it over and brush it under the carpet and aren't honest about what's actually going on and what the size of the problem is we need to tackle then we're not going to achieve what we need to do, but equally we're going to undermine trust in the whole system. I mean, it's interesting that some of the claims, especially around the motor industry and stuff, I can't remember where I read it from, so it's please, I, you will, I, I may well be wrong, but it was just something I read. I think it was a, a, a one of the large car companies saying, oh, we're going to be fully electric or hybrid by something like 2030 or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you're going to have to be. Because you can't actually sell, you won't be able to sell a petrol or a diesel car pretty much in Europe. Possibly, I don't know about the rules in America, but a huge chunk of your market will disappear from you with these cars. So yeah. it's not, and it's not a big fanfare thing, I think, for them to announce this is what we're going to do. So, well, you're going to have to do that because that's the new laws that are coming out, and you will, you've got no choice mm-hmm. if you want to operate in that marketplace. So it's not, I, and it's interesting, I was uh, on a previous co- podcast talking to a guy called Guy, <laughs> and he talks about Generation Generation Z coming in, and obviously they're going to be much more prevalent in the, sort of the numbers over the few mm-hmm. coming years. And he said, and their, their attitude is they can really, they can sniff through marketing BS. Yeah. And being sustainable will not be a badge of honour, but be expected. Yeah, and I think they'll ask tougher questions and... Um, So in terms of the figures, so millennial and Gen Z are going to be 72% of the workforce by the end of the decade. And when they're inside, they're asking tougher questions already within the interview process. 
but equally once they're inside a business they're not they're not just sitting there putting up with it they're going to be activists within the business they're expecting they're expecting a totally different way of doing business and i think that's that's one of the things that is going to actually make businesses sit up and respond because they they need people to work for them and if you can't attract the best people you are not going to remain competitive and it's much harder i think to hide things from the people who are working with you every single day than it is from your consumers well as you say the consumers is that we most people don't know who owns what you've got yeah. a brand and you say i'll buy this and say, yeah, but it's the same company owns both of them do they mm-hmm. yep it's because <laughs> they, they rebrand it market it whatever it is because they're, they're just pitched at different um, levels so our understanding of the complexities of big, especially big businesses, we've got no idea where did their money go? How do they do it and how these things work? So what about, what's the opportunities then? So if you think about like the medium sized business or the business going into that sort of area, because we quite often like these reports and we talk about the global companies. And I think sometimes that gives an opportunity for smaller businesses who are potentially more agile, but also can have that story and connect to a, their audience quicker and better than larger organizations. Mm-hmm. I think there's two different elements to it. There's the process element and then there's the human element. Mm -hmm. And I think they're both really important. So from a sort of process point of view, it's really important that they know the numbers. So they've got a really clear idea of what what does sustainability mean to them and how do they measure up against that at the moment? And then where do they actually want to get to and what does good look like in terms of really specific measurable targets and how do those pan out over a period of time? So it's not just saying we want to get to this point in 30 years time. It's saying this is where we're aiming for in five years, 10 years, 15 years. So they're mapping out that journey. They've got numbers against it that they can then be held accountable to and they could talk about. And then they've got a really clear plan for how are they going to hit all of those different numbers and that that plan is then available to the public. So everybody can see it. Everybody can interrogate it. It's all kind of complete and in one place. You've not got to dig around the website in lots of different pieces to kind of piece it all together. It's got to be easy to understand. It's got to be really clear what's in scope, what's out of scope, how you're going to measure all of those metrics so that you've got those, you know, these are the assumptions we're making. This is the methodology we're using so that there's no fudging around it at all. It's like These are the numbers this is what we're going to do. Put it out there completely transparent, completely open so that there's anybody could come along and then measure and get the same results. So like you would get with your set of accounts, but because there isn't the same rigor at the moment around all of this as there is around a set of accounts, it's about being really transparent about these are the, this is the way we're measuring it. This is the plan we've got. And then it's about As you go on that journey, things aren't going to work out exactly how you thought they were going to work out, but being completely transparent about that, continuing to report on it, continuing to measure as you said you would, and then go back out and say, okay, we said we were going to get to this point by the end of this year. We haven't actually, we've missed it by this amount. This is why we've missed it by this amount. This is what we've learned. This is what we're doing to get back on track and not trying to budget they admit mistakes they share learnings they recognize that this is a journey that it's really complicated that nobody knows the answers they don't pretend to be perfect because nobody's perfect none of us know how to do this and 
that sort of humility and vulnerability and honesty, they're okay with that rather than trying to present this perfect image. I guess, so it goes back to that fear of failure, doesn't it? Mm. And trusting that, do you know what? And we are, um, in my experience, if something goes wrong with a company, with a person or an individual, whatever it is, if somebody actually holds their hands up and says, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. we're generally quite forgiving. Yeah. And people are saying, okay, that makes sense. I can understand why you're doing that. And, and as long as, long as, as uh, that authenticity in what they're saying, and, mm. and you say, and this is why, and this is what we're planning to do about it. And this is where we're moving in the future. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's a way forward if that's where you want to go as a business because you'll attract people who want to get involved in that because you're totally open and transparent. So a quote, I can't remember again who said it. I'm, I love quotes, but I can never remember who tells me <laughs> what, where I read them from. Or very few stick like the names. He said, there's a war on talent and talent won. So the war on talent is talent. Talent has won. Yeah. We're in this case of the world changing so fast and the skills necessary to move companies forward. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the Gen Z and the millennials coming into the workplace and working in it. And then I suppose having more senior positions in organizations as well may help in that transition to that more transparent reporting Mm -hmm. process. And I think the reality is, well, the external context has changed. So a lot of people who are maybe close to retirement now, earlier on in their career, it was just more stable. Whereas it just isn't anymore. It's we're in a very rapidly changing external environment and therefore we need to manage and lead in very different ways. And so that, and it's, it's complex and you have to do test and learn. You have to experiment. You can't create a strategy and then deliver it because you don't know what's going to happen when the strategy hits the market. And actually as the market then evolves and you suddenly have COVID or a massive new technology comes online or there's a banking collapse or whatever it is, things are happening and you have to respond to those. The strategy, it, it, we're not in a stable marketplace. And so it comes back to that vulnerability piece again. I think, you know, in t- especially in terms of environmental sustainability claims, Nobody knows how to do this. Nobody's done it. You know, there are some businesses that are far more advanced, but, you know, Interface have done brilliantly in the world of carpet manufacturing. Well, unless you're a carpet manufacturer that operates in exactly the same places, you can't copy what they did. You can learn from it, but all of us are going to be sort of muddling through, trying to work it out as we go along and testing stuff out, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And that requires a very different sort of leadership to the maybe more command and control leadership that might have been okay 20, 30 years ago. Okay, so to build trust, we need to change the way we lead to say that and accept we are going to make mistakes. And it's about the opportunity to learn from those. I think so. And I think because I don't think any of us are going to get this right, but I think having the humility to go out and recognise that this is a journey. So, for example, speaking to lots of businesses that have become B Corps, the thing that they consistently say is it's a journey. It's not about getting the, you know, going through the process, ticking the boxes, getting the certification, sticking it on your website. It's about a journey. And actually now we've started on the journey, we suddenly see how much more we need to do. And the journey 
now we've got the certification, the journey is only just beginning. And transparency is a huge part of the B Corp. But I think that's really interesting. And, you know, and I'm finding you know, the more you know, I've been working in sustainability for years, but less so in environmental sustainability. And the more I learn, the more I realise that I don't know. And I, you know, I, I think that humility is really important because we've got to collaborate on this. We've got to pull in other people who are experts because none of us can be experts in absolutely everything. It's such a sort of complex, ever-evolving space. It's about collaboration, experimenting, learning, which is a very different type of leadership to knowing exactly what you have to do and then implementing it. Okay. And just to, for those who, who might not know, can you explain what B Corp is? Yes. So it is a certification that a business can get that so shows that they are signed up to a sort of better way of doing business that they adhere to various principles in terms of environmental principles, in terms of how they engage with their community, in terms of how they treat their staff, in terms of their governance. And you can apply for certification and you go through sort of quite a rigorous audit process. And if you become a B Corp, then you're sort of part of that wider community and you can say that you're a B Corp on, you know, on your recruitment materials, on your marketing materials, and that that can really help to engage a certain type of consumer or a certain type of employee. Okay. So that could be some ways that organizations say, how can I help prove or build trust? And I'm, I'm doing the right things. I know I am, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And instead of just saying I'm doing it, they could say, and I'm certified that these are the principles of which I'm following. So that could be a way that certain organizations can demonstrate that sort of, and to build that trust. Yeah, and even if if people weren't ready to sort of commit to that journey, they've got an assessment that you can do for free, the B Impact Assessment. You can go onto their website, access that for free, and it goes through all of the questions you'd have to answer. And already that can start to give you an idea of where you might have gaps, what you might want to work on. So that can be quite, if you're doing that kind of baseline measurement of where are we, what might we want to improve, that can be quite a nice place to start. And you could still even talk about that. You don't have to be going through the whole process, but even sharing that you've gone through that questionnaire, you've used it as a way of identifying opportunities to improve. Sharing that with your employees could be hugely powerful. Mm -hmm. So that could actually open people's eyes and say, because sustainability, if you talk about what is sustainability and all this Mm -hmm. jargon that's around it, because it seems wherever we do something, we create a whole new language around stuff. And it's not an area or a field I work in. So Mm-hmm. I would say, what's the difference between net zero and carbon and this and that? I was like, I don't know. So if they use something like the B Corp and say, this will give us an idea of what good could look like or the areas we could look at to sort of embrace this sustainable approach to business. Yes and no. Okay. So B Corp is, is one set of measurements and one way of looking at a business. If you want to look at sustainability in its broadest sense, then I think one of the best places to start is the sustainable development goals um, developed by the UN. So there are 17 of those and they are pretty comprehensive in terms of all the different things that might fall under sustainability. So you've got things in there around equality, diversity, biodiversity, water, you've got climate and carbon it's huge how how does industry work we've got a huge range of different things that could fall under the sort of broad title of sustainability 
And one of the ways that I would always start with a business is to sort of have a really honest conversation with the leadership to say, what do you actually want to achieve? So at the moment, a lot of the talk and a lot of the regulation is around uh, net, net zero. And that's where a lot of businesses are feeling pressure at the moment to remove, to reduce their impact in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. That may be all they want to work on at the moment in terms of sustainability, and that's okay, but let's admit that up front. Also to have a really honest conversation around why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you want to tick a box and you want to be compliant, or are you doing this because you genuinely think it's the right business thing to do, or are you doing this because you want to have a much broader impact beyond making a profit and you want to be genuinely integrating impact into your entire business and operating model. Let's be really honest about that upfront because that's going to impact your entire approach. Because if actually it's about being compliant, we're not going to push this as far as we might if you want to transform your whole business model and genuinely try and tackle some of those big sustainable development goals. Okay. And I think that that level of honesty upfront is really helpful as well. I suppose I put it the scope, isn't it? It says this is what mm. we're actually doing it for. And then once we understand that and we, if we say to people, we're doing it because we have to do it. And I don't think many businesses will actually put that in the literature. <laughs> Probably not. Look at us, <laughs> yeah, we're compliant. Give, give us a clap. I said, no, I don't think so. You're doing it over and beyond. Uh, but <clears throat> what they see in the vision of what they're working towards, because we talk about that, don't we? Mission and vision of organisation, mm. all it is, and they can do it. So they could actually do that around that sustainability thing. Is that, where do they see themselves as uh, contributing to this, this area of business or uh, society? And where does there, because I was working with a company in America. I was fortunate to be invited along to help co-facilitate some work. And they're very much around their sustainability. They see about one, how they do business with their people, but also how they connect mm-hmm. to the community. Yeah. And that was the two parts of them. It was about yeah. how we treat our people and then how we, how we pay back to the communities in which we are. And they, they put an awful lot of emphasis around those two aspects of their business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and they're, I mean, going back to what you said about B Corp, there are two big aspects of B Corp, and there are questions around those. And to become a B Corp, you don't have to tick every single box. And it may, you know, there will be businesses that focus much more on their people and their community, but maybe don't score so well on environment. That doesn't mean that they won't become a B Corp. It might mean that there are gaps there, and that's an area they want to work on afterwards. But with all of this, I think that there is something about businesses real, recognizing upfront where they want their focus to be because we can't all do everything. We can't all be tackling all of those 17 sustainable development goals. It's about having an honest conversation about what sort of business do we want to be? Where do we want our focus to be? And then building a plan around that. Because there's something called the Organisation for Responsible Business in the UK, which is aimed at SMEs who haven't got the sort of the budget to look at some of those things, just to give them Mm -hmm. guidance about, okay, these are the things to consider. Mm-hmm. areas of rent so because again a lot of people might think well is that response is that something for me and i do believe even uh, like me I'm, I'm i run my company from a spare room because obviously a lot of what i can mm-hmm. do is mobile and virtual but you still take some of those responsibilities like where do i get my stuff from how do i how do i dispose of stuff i don't use anymore how do i engage with my stakeholders and the people i work with in a in a more ethical way i still think those principles of sustainability can be applied across from a business of one person to as you say these big multinationals that, uh, that were in the news the other day the report that you mentioned and strange enough i i sent you a, i sent you an email about it yeah. just as you were sending me an email about it 
So I was in there, I was quicker. Because <laughs> <clears throat> obviously my big focus is on trust and about how we build yeah. trust and relationships with people. But yours is more around that sustainability and trust in that very clear aspect of it. So if you were to say to a company, you want to build sustainability, you want to build trust, what sort of tips would you give them? I know we've sort of covered some. Mm. What sort of things do you think would be interesting for them to, to look at? I'm worried I'm going to end up repeating myself, but I, okay. I think they need data. So there's so much. If you look at, if you start sort of focusing in on what businesses are saying about sustainability, so much of it is generalizations and wishy-washy. Being really specific and having the data that starts to build trust and so to say okay we're you know drill down into your data you know okay we've got these emissions but what are they actually coming from what, what are the different activities that we're doing where are they where are those emissions coming from break it down really granular and say right this is how we're going to tackle each of those these are the targets in each of those areas and we will report back to you in a year and show you the impact we've had so you're not hiding it in generalizations but you're you're getting into the sort of hard data which and and reporting in a consistent way that really really helps so data on all of this is really important and being really consistent on what your assumptions and methodologies are and being really transparent about what those are some of the now this is more for larger businesses but some of the best ones will be then sharing that data in a downloadable format so that other people can take it away and interrogate it and do their own testing on it so a lot of this is slightly different but a lot of the sort of leaders in the fashion space you can now download a database of all of the factories where their clothes are produced you can download that from their website and then you can interrogate that so that that can then be you know run through various systems you know if you've got reporting of human rights issues in factories in southeast asia that can be run against that report you can find out which of the businesses that are selling garments made in those factories so it's that sort of transparency and that data and that granularity is really key but equally in the way you communicate that data making it understandable to the general public so you were talking about jargon there is so much jargon in this space so how do you make sure that you communicate it in a way that people can understand? So yes, it needs to be consistent. It needs to have data, but don't try and kind of bamboozle them and hide it in jargon and complexity because it's very easy with sustainability to get very technical very quickly. And so there's a huge role for communications people here in terms of how do you communicate it in a really accessible way. So that's all the data bit and having a really clear plan for what you're going to do against it. And then it's then it's this honesty. It's it's being transparent with people about what have you done? What's worked? What hasn't worked? What are you going to do next? How are you going to make that doable? Why? Why do you think that's realistic? Because there's equally there's there's plans out there at the moment where you can look at it and think. How are they actually going to make that happen? Is that actually realistic? And. So it's putting something out there that is that people, the general public can look at and say, yes, I understand that. And I actually think that is genuinely achievable, but equally something that's ambitious. So not doing what you said in terms of promising that you're going to phase out producing petrol and diesel cars when that's something you've legally got to do. Like, How are you going to push yourself further? 
another thing which is a whole minefield in itself is around offsetting. So if you've got carbon emissions, are you becoming net zero by just paying to offset all of those? Or are you becoming net zero because you are fundamentally changing your business and driving down your emissions? And that's an area which I think we're going to get much more scrutiny of because, you know, if you're planting trees, but then the trees don't start capturing carbon for 20 years, but equally the whole forest might burn down, then it's all just a bit of a fudge. And, And there are better ways of doing carbon offsetting and there are less good ways of doing it. But it's, I mean, an example we haven't talked about Brewdog yet. I thought they might have come up earlier. Oh, they, but, uh, they were in my mind, <laughs> but that was on another issue. Basically. I mean, there, there's a lot of contention. They're lost forest up in Scotland where they haven't actually planted any trees yet. When they do plant the trees, it's going to take a while for them to actually be doing anything useful. And even the plans to develop the forest have got loads of questions around them in terms of how are they actually going to do it in a in a way that is best for carbon capture for biodiversity etc cetera, etc cetera. they bringing in experts who know how to actually do this properly and so then the question i mean obviously looking at that in parallel with everything else that's come coming out about brewdog and all the stuff that hasn't come out yet you know, is it just a marketing tool are they just doing that like so many of the other things that appear to have just been marketing tools is that lost forest just a marketing tool and it then undermines the whole the whole piece I mean, I think you can see there is another example of an organization that says every time they sign up a new customer, they're going to plant a tree mm-hmm. and they may well plant a tree. And they, and I believe they do. And I think there is that you can see in the marketing, there is a shift in marketing towards being attractive to people who are concerned about sustainability and the, and the planet. So you can, I definitely think in marketing, you can actually see this sort of shift from more consumers driven to sort of that sustainability approach. But again, is how much will that impact on an organization that sells i think i think it's utility warehouse so every new customer they will plant mm-hmm. a tree the thing is we haven't we can't there, there are calculations that have been done as to how many trees we would have to plant like we can't plant enough trees to deal with the amount of carbon we're pumping out like there's just not enough space in the world to do that and it might be better for them to say what we're doing is every time we sign people up, then we should they report how much of their energy is renewable, how much of their energy comes from gas, how much of their energy that they sell to us. And I don't know if that's doable because of mm. that sort of thing. But again, that's about that transparency, isn't it? And it could be that we aim to, so a big company, can they invest in renewable energies, sources and bits and pieces or give mm-hmm. people, instead of planting a tree that might cost 50 quid, are they going to say, right, you can get a discount on making your house more use less energy which if they sell energy that's might not be a good plan because it might reduce (laughs) but there again it's that that's there are just as you say there's so many different ways to approach this i think sometimes the 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 tree thing seems to be flavor of the month but i think what you've said there is really interesting around would they want to help people reduce their energy bill because actually what they're doing is selling energy and that is one of the biggest challenges of this whole thing is that Yep. There are huge opportunities for businesses to do really well. There are huge opportunities for whole new business areas. Equally, there are business models that are not going to do so well in the, you know, when when we move to a more sustainable world. Businesses are going to have to innovate and they're going to have to change, and there will be service lines that will not be able to exist in the way that they have. And so you have businesses that are grappling with things like, well, actually, what we do is we 
sell energy. So why would we want to help people reduce their energy? And yet a company such as Octopus, they have been running a campaign for the last month or so, helping, giving tips and helping all of their customers to reduce their winter gas usage by x percent giving them tips every week doing competitions who can you know who can reduce their gas bill the most versus their normal usage and so that to me that then builds up my trust in octopus because actually it's not all about them and just making a profit and patagonia are the same where they they do a lot of marketing, which is saying, you know, do not buy our products, you know, mend them or recycle them. And they recognize that they're part of the problem and they are then trying to tackle that. And they're, they're transparent about it. And they basically say everything you buy in terms of clothing is bad. We can't pretend that there is not a good thing to buy. Everything you buy is bad. We'd rather you bought something that was going to last and that you then mend it. And then when it's finished, you can send it back to us and we will recycle it, make it part of the circular economy. But this is one of those things that we have to grapple with and we have to come up with new business models because because it doesn't it doesn't there isn't a neat answer to all of these questions and there are things that companies going to have to strategically grapple with and work out well, how we can operate differently. How does our business model need to change? in order for us to remain competitive. But when you then get a business like Patagonia, like Octopus, that do something that looks like, from a financial point of view, it's the wrong decision, that, to me, that massively builds my trust up in them because what they're doing is totally aligned with what they're saying around sustainability. And I think that's, I mean, I talk about trust and you talk about the honesty, which is which is so important but it's the consistency the mm-hmm. consistency in actions and the message that they both they they they, they just support each other all the way that every decision yeah. you make as a business is how does this feed into our sustainability how does this feed into our messaging is it a good decision to make and i think management asking those questions leaders and organizations may change some of their decisions based on that and a simple thing to look at is look at something like Brewdog. And they set themselves up on these high values and principles and they were mm-hmm. going to change the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And they've gone through the mill over the last year. It's been about a year of drip feeding, negative content, mm-hmm. stuff that come out. And fair play, the guy who runs Brewdogs come out and said, I have to learn more. But then the next thing came and I said, I have to learn more. And he, mm-hmm. I have to learn more. Now that, that apology and I have to learn more is only going to take them so far until people want to see actual changes that are tangible to the general public and i think facebook is another example of how many times they apologize for what they do how they do and how they mm-hmm. operate as a business ethically and then saying yes we've learned we've made mistakes we've made mistakes yes but you need to do something different so slightly off topic there but still ish it's about that trust and the sustainable model as we have i don't I think, think it another- is off topic though because i think there are examples as well so i mean coke is an example where they've come out and made uh, set targets around reducing plastic waste and these big bold claims and then they haven't got anywhere near to them and so they sort of move the goalpost there's not a and then they start talking about something else from a sustainability point of view rather than I think really leaning into it and owning it and recognizing the problem it starts to feel then like a marketing thing rather than a goodness. We genuinely recognize this is a massive problem and we are part of it. We need to 
be part of the solution, which is an organisation like Patagonia, the, all of the work that they've done within the fashion industry and collaborating with competitors to really try and change the whole industry shows much greater leadership than I think we see with Coke. Another thing, and also interesting enough, now we talked about the energy, was it Octopus you said? Mm. If you think about it, what they actually might be doing is creating a more sustainable business in the way that energy prices in the UK have gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. So what's the chances of some of their customers now not being able to afford energy and therefore they can't shut them off? So that puts a strain on their income. Whereas if they can get people to reduce their energy bills, less customers are actually going to default. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they might be securing a cash flow better by doing so they do two things one secure cash flow but also as you say massively build trust because they're saying you know what we're helping you mm-hmm. and helping you pay and there's a cost of living crisis and we're we're doing our part to help you we're, we're, we're supplying one of the products especially very much more expensive than it used to be we can help you reduce your need for it well and they'll also i mean i think in that industry there is such a lack of trust in the big oil and gas giants octopus will capture market share and so their growth will come that way rather than through each you know overcharging each individual customer they can reduce the bill of each one but they will then attract more and more of the market so yeah so although it sounds counterintuitive you actually think about it as a longer term strategy Mm -hmm. it's probably is we're positioning ourselves and we are doing enough to Create at the beginning, we talked about this opportunities exist in this crisis of trust that I think there is in the in institutions and big business. There, I think there is a massive mm-hmm. crisis of trust, and there's enough stories you can talk about. Brewdog, we can talk about say what Coke said, what Coca Cola. You can talk about the report that came out yesterday. We can talk about VW and Dieselgate. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the financial crash of 2009 and some of the actions companies been taken to court and found guilty of all sorts of things they shouldn't be doing. And it's just littered of big corporate breaches of that trust. And I think there is there are opportunities for somebody to stand up and just, I say do something that stands out so much that you'll be you're in the space you're talking about these companies, and I'm talking about them. So they're getting free publicity <laughs> because we're saying we're basically saying we support what they're doing. Look at this, great, isn't it? What they're doing is that fantastic. Mm. And they may not even be customer. We not be customers of theirs, but we're going to be talking about them in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I think what you said there that was really relevant is around it being long term. Because sustainability, in its broadest sense, it means doing something that means that you can continue for the long term. And there is a financial element of that. So it's about sustainable in terms of the environment. So you're not kind of messing things up for future generations. So you're operating in a way that you could keep going forever and ever and ever. It's sustainable in terms of people. So in terms of the relationships you've got, whether those are with your employees, whether they're with your suppliers, whether you're with the community, with your consumers, you are engaging with them in a way that they will want to continue to engage with you for the long term. And that trust comes into that massively. And then you've got to be financially sustainable because if you've not got a business model that's financially sustainable and you're not making enough profit that you can be investing in innovation and in reinventing the business, then you're not going to be here for the long term. So sustainability is about that long term piece across people and planet and profit. And too often, 
businesses aren't thinking about all three of those. You know, whether that's the environment and operating in a way that's not long term sustainable for the environment, but equally people, there are you know, so many examples of businesses acting in a very short termist way and burning bridges and damaging trust. And that is going to harm their brand and their reputation, their ability to be here in the long term. Whereas these businesses that we've been talking about are playing a much longer term game. I think. I think it's, it's it, I can never get the word right. So please, it's been <laughs> ambidextrous. Ambidextrous. So ambidextrous. So business ambidextriosity. Is that a word? <laughs> oh, goodness. Which is about. <laughs> Don't know. Sure we, yeah, we've got to have a business model that can operate today, but also be sustainable for the future. And it's about having having your eye on both. Yeah. So, and that's. That's what we talk about a lot in the innovation space in terms of having an ambidextrous business model. So you've got a sort of dual strategy. You've got the business today, but you've always got an eye on the future and reinventing yourself and spotting what the next opportunity is. And it's not all focused on the here and the now. Because I think you've talked about something that's interesting, the going back and there's something you said about how we're changing. And please correct me if I'm wrong. At the moment, organisations have got a responsibility to, to do well for their shareholders, I believe. And it's soon mm-hmm. isn't that going to change that they've got to do well for their, all stakeholders? Is there a something There's around? There's an argument at the moment that they already do have that responsibility, but there is, there is a campaign going on at the moment for the Better Business Act to officially change it in law. So Section 172 of the Companies Act changed that so that there is an official responsibility to all stakeholders. And that would that could force a total change in focus of organisations. Yes, because they would be legally. So if it's applied, it would be applied retrospectively to all existing companies. So every single company overnight would suddenly have a responsibility to all stakeholders, not just to their shareholders. And there's define what a stakeholder is, which is probably the next legal argument that would come from that. It, it would definitely broaden our thing about impact, because obviously I work... In the, the lot of the space or people I work with is, is, is that leadership role, but also about how do we treat people in the workplace and build so that, 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 mm. that trust. And it's not so my sustainability, although I don't say I'm in the field, I'm more about that people sustainability and the mm-hmm. sort of thinking about that side of it. But it's not hug a tree. You know, I think I don't think any of this is really hug a tree anymore, to be honest. But I think there is, and oh, I'm not talking about this is all about hug a tree, mm. softly, softly, and being nice to people, it's all fluffy, fluffy, but we're hard business people. but I think, as you said, well, sustainability is about creating a business that is sustainable. Mm-hmm. I think the, the reality is as well is the more and more that we learn about climate change, that businesses are not going to be able to operate in the sorts of scenarios that we might be looking at. And so suddenly that makes it onto a risk log. Like that's, you know, we're in proper business territory. <laughs> this is like, this is a risk that you're going to need to suddenly start looking at your financials and devaluing assets on the balance sheet and putting in massive provisions or finding ourselves in a world where it's uninsurable or your insurance premiums are sky high. Like that, we're talking, we're not talking tree hugging then. We're talking proper business numbers, you know, supply chains that get decimated because of floods or fires or displaced people or you know whatever it is you know those are sort of cold hard business conversations and we just need to have a look at where the supply chains are at the moment mm-hmm. and what we've happened and the, the impact the sort of the impact that's having on business models how we operate 
And are we going to be moving from that just in time scenario to a more localized business model? Is that yeah. more sustainable in the future? So I think there are some really hard questions for companies to ask. And I think that's the challenge with all of this is they're hard questions. It's really difficult. There aren't clear answers. And it comes back to that vulnerability piece again of leaders being comfortable to say, I don't know the answer. I'm working with my team around me. We're all, you know, I need a multidisciplinary team. We'll come up with the best possible thing that we think we need to do next. It might not work. And if it doesn't work, we'll then work out what we're going to do afterwards. But they're not pretending that they've got all the answers and they're going to be perfect. And they're okay with that. And they're okay with being completely transparent about that. Humble inquiry. <laughs> Indeed. Book, the book in which you are reading. I, I do agree. That is, uh, I think, one of the greatest untapped, untapped resources with organisations is what's between the ears of its staff. It's, it just takes such a completely... So, I mean, as they, they talk about in Humble Inquiry, within, and they're coming at it from the perspective of the US culture, but the UK culture is not a million miles away from that the culture has defined how we are within business and this need to be right or wrong, black or white. That makes it very, very hard to do a lot of this stuff because it's not inbred within our culture to not know the answers, to make mistakes, to then stand up and say, you've made a mistake. And we're seeing that, I mean, we do not want to go into politics, but you know, <laughs> We, we we see that within we see that within politics don't we you know this inability to stand up and say i'm really sorry i messed up well i think and maybe we can go on to that but i think also that the i don't think the media helps <laughs> much because they try to set politicians up and then say oh you said this you've had a u-turn and they, they do a yeah. big thing about it and make a commitment yeah. for the next five years so we're asking politicians to make commitments when really actually in reality it's mm -hmm. nigh on impossible to make <clears throat> those but I, yeah i'm definitely not going to but i mean it's it's an interesting place for both of us to watch because of mm -hmm. what we see about the sustainability and that transparency and that sort of trust and having it and looking at how politicians are leading and saying well they're not setting a great example so again i was talking to jeff hudson so and what he says is that there is such a distrust uh, there was a trust research that goes on every few years i can't remember the company who does it again knowing something but not knowing the resource so i do apologize <laughs> and the level of trust in the big institutions is seriously being eroded and covid hasn't helped that mm -hmm. either that's got even worse so people are now expecting businesses to step up and fill that trust void so big the edelman businesses. the edelman trust barometer that's it and that's um, what saying. there's businesses that people are actually saying to businesses please step up and fill this gap that exists in our trust because we yeah. want to believe in what people are telling us. Yeah, no. And, and I think the businesses are going to play a huge part in all of this. I think so. Um, you're right that people are saying that they expect businesses to play a big role in terms of sustainability, tackling climate change, etc. I also think from what I'm hearing that that's, we need that. We, we can't sit here and wait for government. Everyone's got a, a role to play and businesses are going to play a huge role. And therefore we need to be able to trust what they're doing. And there's something I, so I, I get concerned, and it sort of comes back to that Tesco example at the beginning. If we want to achieve mass behavior change, we need to make it really easy for people. We need it to be the default option. So, you know, if you're, 
I don't know, you're, you're investing your pension, it default goes into a sustainable investment fund, which it doesn't at the moment. If you are buying food in the supermarket, it defaults to sustainable options, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so you have to make a conscious decision to want to make the non-sustainable choice. Whereas at the moment, the sustainable choice is not the default the vast majority of the time. Whereas if we want to achieve mass behavior change in the whole population, we've got to make the default the sustainable choice because most you can't expect the vast majority of people to be doing all the research and the thinking or paying premiums, et cetera. And that's where business comes in because businesses are the ones who have the ability to decide what the default options are most of the time because they're the ones who are selling the products and the services. And they're also very good at influencing buyer behaviour. Yes, exactly. But if they can influence it in the right way, then that's how we, I think we will achieve mass behaviour change. Whereas trying to change millions of people's behaviour, billions if you look worldwide, that's very hard. Whereas actually there are far fewer companies if we change companies' behaviour. And actually, one of the things I think we're going to see is that the procurement policies of the NHS and other public sector organisations of big corporates, they are starting to change. And if they start demanding of their suppliers that they have to change as well and they need to hit certain sustainability targets, certain standards, and that their suppliers need to, it's gonna, that's going to trickle all around the world. That, that, I think, is going to be one of the things that's going to be one of the biggest drivers of all of this. And that's interesting about how we choose. So I was talking to somebody a while back about sustainability and said, and he was talking about ESG and he was talking about the same things you were at the beginning about that lack of, of clear understanding of what this actually looks like. How do we measure it? What are the metrics we can use? Whereas we've got accountancy, we know those rules. Mm-hmm. That's how you calculate. That's the figure. And if you look at it, you can pretty much work out what it looks like. But one of the things he said, and this can be driven by investors yeah, and purchasers. So it's basically where does the money come from, from businesses? And if the money is much more driven towards that, choice about how we're choosing to invest so go to the investment companies and say why are you invest in this and they change their ethos about who and how they invest their money look at angel investors and saying you know what i'm not i don't want a company that's going to become a unicorn mm-hmm. so it's not about don't give me a strategy about how you're going to grow and sell give me a strategy about how you're going to grow and sustain then i'll invest in you then that changes the whole ethos about how we set companies up because that's the only way we're going to attract the, the money to build what we want. And we are starting to see shifts. So there's more and more funding, funds that are screening for what's called ESG, mm-hmm. so environmental, social and governance. We're seeing more and more in the procurement space. So I'm speaking to an increasing number of people who are saying that they're being asked about this within their tenders. The NHS, in a few years time, every single organisation that works with them will have to have a sustainability plan and will have to be regularly reporting progress against that and that includes you know one person coaches working with the nhs it's going to be absolutely everyone and that's just that's gonna i think that's gonna have a big domino effect well that who doesn't supply to the nhs exactly or who's or in to someone <laughs> of somebody who supplies the NHS? i mean they're, they're an enormous organization now if they actually then and i think this could be a good an area where there could then become some sort of understanding and, and standardization of what sustainable looks like because they mm-hmm. would have, they might say, what's your sustainability plan? And they might then put against key areas, which will then drive that sort of, okay, this is what it's going to start to look like. And it gives that sort of standardization of language. 
and there is i mean there's a lot more regulation coming down the line as well so there you know there are there is a lot of work going on on this so i think it will all be happening in parallel because it's in part being driven by the investor community they need to be able to compare apples with apples and at the moment they can't so there's i mean there's some new financial regulations that are coming on in just a couple of months time for large companies in the uk so there is more and more of this coming down the line i think it's all going to be happening in parallel what we can't have we haven't got the time for is to be waiting for government and regulation to change and then everybody else following in line it's it needs to be a bit of a sort of messy transition where we're all doing bits and bobs in parallel and we need to be comfortable with that messiness which i think again we're not always comfortable with and it has to be a messy transition rather than a really neat ordered one because otherwise that's going to take far too long i don't think we've had a seismic change in anything has been orderly if you look back on it so when when we changed when we changed industries and when but that's normally being forced Mm. by technological advancements or stuff people have had to this is a choice isn't it about there's a there's a change is necessary but we can't see it's not driven by the here and now which talk about the Mm short-termism it's driven by what is coming down the line and we're getting to the point of no return which people kind of know but there's a and the thing about people's behaviors and motivations you'll sit there and go well what's coming is probably known the impact mm-hmm. is not 100 percent known but it's a long term in the future whereas i make decisions now the impact is going to hit me now and be impacting on me now and it could be positive uh, and it could be a positive uh, possible negative mm-hmm. and so that's I, the whole bias thing isn't it around and it's about how we, how, how do we then have a community? How do we communicate? I think I wrote in a blog, isn't it? how do we communicate the impact of, or what we're trying to do within this in a way that's going to map into that type of understanding of what motivates behavior rather than we all kind of know we've got to do it. It's like mm-hmm. you might say to somebody, I kind of know I'm overweight and I know I need to, and when I'm in my sixties and seventies, that will impact on my health potentially. Mm-hmm. But that knowledge very rarely will change my behavior today i think it's i think it's going to be a mix of there's going to be drivers there's going to be things forcing it you know whether that's the war on talent whether that is the regulations changing whether that's your investors or your customers telling you you need to change so there's all those kind of push factors forcing you i also think there are a huge number of opportunities Mm. so we're going to be creating various people say you know this is one of the biggest opportunities for the economy that we've seen in ages there's going to be whole new sectors developing whole new needs for skill sets I mean, if you go out now and you, you know, there's lots of free training available on this you can upskill yourself and you could probably go and get a job they're recruiting like crazy into this sector there's jobs being advertised every day and there's not enough people to fill them so probably you can get into a job without being as qualified as you might need to be in other sectors and it's a hugely growing area so there's there's a lot of opportunities for businesses to create whole new products and services that are meeting this need. And it's about seeing those and recognizing where your assets and capabilities can deliver new streams of value rather than hanging on to what you're doing now. But that, again, takes a type of leadership that is willing to make that shift and willing to, it's that ambidextrous organization. Yes, you've got the business model now that's paying the bills, but What's it going to look like in 10 years' time? If you're in the fast fashion business, that's not likely to exist in 10 years' time. So how do you take your assets and your capabilities to do something completely different, but which will have huge amounts of value in 
a zero carbon world. And I think there are, as I say, there's some industries that are going to be absolutely decimated. The industry models, mm-hmm. the fashion's one of them, maybe transportation, how that operates and functions like logistics. Automobiles, definitely because of what's happening, I think. Mm-hmm. Not just the R&D and about how we're changing, how we look at transportation and how we yeah. transport ourselves. And even the business models, if you think about cars, their business model is built on, they don't make a lot of money in selling a car. They make a lot of money in servicing and looking after a car because mm-hmm. they basically inherently go wrong because there's so many moving parts. So many less moving parts in electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing's about servicing and all that, that, that the whole type of industry, what's going to happen to that? Yeah. You think, well, that, that's in trouble. But then you say, well, what skills have we got knowledge of cars? And there, could we then turn into, as you say, what do we know? And where, where can that skill sets or that knowledge we have or that capability capacities, how can that service this, these new potentials? Mm-hmm. Interesting questions for companies to ask themselves, I think. Yeah. Margaret Wheatley yeah. said, the question is, isn't your glass half full or half empty? It's what's in your glass. Who needs it and how can you get it to them? Mm-hmm. And that's where the long-term thinking comes in. And you can say that to people, we are transitioning from, yes, we're involved in this and we are transitioning to this area. Again, it comes back to that honesty and that trust and mm. believe in what these companies are actually telling us and doing it because there is such an opportunity for them because we have this crisis and these opportunities for them. And if they were just honest, mm-hmm. it'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so that's a kind of, a, that's, a, that's not a bad wrap up really, is it? Is there anything we'd like to finish with then? As we say, oh, say how can we increase trust in businesses? We've kind of I think that. I think you sort of wrapped it up there. I think we've talked about. I think we've talked about everything that I was going to talk about. Okay, well, I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been thank nice you, to actually Scott. get you on here. I've been asking you for about a year. <laughs> it's quite nice for you to actually come on. <laughs> thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and thank uh, you. your ideas around it. And all the details for you will be in the comments below. So thank you very much. Super. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome.